Grace to Rebuild Our Lives. Part one today is on how ruined lives are repaired. Today's going to be interesting. This, is a, this was a special request series by someone in this church. I taught this a long time ago. But uh, again, just like you, as we grow and mature, our lens changes on things and we we grow deeper in our, under, in our understanding of the interpretation of Scripture, of what the Holy Spirit's teaching us and, and the grace of God. We've got to keep growing, because if you don't, you become stale. So it, it was fun to go back and look through this series. And then I realized we're living in a time where a lot of people are going through brokenness. There's a lot of pain, even right here in this group, for people watching online. They're walking through pain loneliness, brokenness, loss of a, a child through death, loss of a child through rejection, and they've moved away, or a young adult. Uh, they've had uh, divorces. They've had separations. You name it. There's tough relationships going on. Uh, so much pain in this world. I see a lot of it firsthand in the funeral homes. And often, unfortunately, and when I get to meet the families in funeral homes, what I see most painfully is relationships not nurtured and cared for at the time of extreme crisis become ruptured even more, and it's an absolute mess because things weren't worked out. So today my hope is to show you how God can bring a rebuild in the middle of someone's ruin. And we're going to use a very, very famous story um, I read this a couple weeks back, so I'd like to read it again. It's from Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a powerful, powerful story. In fact, the book of Ezra, is an, he's a contemporary of Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah are one book in the Hebrew Bible. Ezra, the priest, led the early return to Israel and restored worship in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. The prophets Haggai and Zechariah had ministered to the people before that time and urged them to build the temple. And Ezra went back to restore the worship of that temple. Nehemiah, who was a contemporary of Ezra, led a later return, which we're going to hear about today. This book is also the story of the restoring of people from ruin to despair to a new walk with God. These are people who've lost their way, lost their perspective. Darkness has come in to their minds, and they could not see who God was. And they lived like it. Oh, wait a minute. That's just like today. There are many people who have lost sight of the love of God. I've even met people who call themselves grace people. And they say, well, I'm a grace person, and then they end up becoming and losing sight of the love of God, it's more about being right than being loving. That's been a tough unlearning journey for me because they want to teach, well, this is what grace is and that's law. Well, you can argue about that all you want, but if your conversations are filled with love, you're not having a conversation, you're having an argument. It's, it's really important. And there's despair that comes out of that. It can separate relationships when you're being all dogmatic like that. Jerusalem was not only a historic city, which has for centuries been the center of life in the nation of Israel, it's also a symbolic city. Jerusalem is also used as a pictorial sense throughout the scriptures, always referred to as the place where the dwelling of God was. It's the city of Jerusalem, the temple that was the presence of God. And up until the cross, 
that's the way it was. The temple was it. Do you remember what happened at the cross? When Jesus died, something happened in the actual temple. That super, super thick, unterrible veil ripped. And what the writing says in Scripture, that it tore from the top down. And it was like 13, 14 feet high, so nobody can jump up and, and try and tear it. You, you can't get up there. It just doesn't work. And the thing that was separating man from God, that veil, that system, the religious system, it was the beginning of the collapse. The old covenant, by the way, this is an interesting thing to, to consider. I never thought of this until about two years ago. Somebody pointed this out, and I went, hmm, that actually makes sense. There was a, a time where both covenants were acting parallel. While one was the new covenant at the cross, the old covenant ended and was fading away, losing its power. They still did their things. They did their, their, uh, their sacrifices. They still had the system going, but it wasn't until 70 AD that it came to an absolute end by the destruction of Jerusalem, especially when Rome came and utterly destroyed it. We've talked about that in the past. The place where God dwelled, he actually now dwells in us and is accessible. <laughs> you don't have to go to church to meet God, which is what we're told growing up. You've got to stay going to church because that's how you're a good Christian. And those actions make God like you more and you can feel closer to God. No, I feel close to God wherever I go, but I enjoy it even more in the company of others and by myself. Both have value. Whether it's a group of two or three people over coffee or whether it's in a public worship service like this, we can experience God in all aspects. The people were in trouble in this city, in the, the way the story is building up. The walls have been torn down. The temple has just been rebuilt. And they are in despair. The, the uh, city gate is absolutely destroyed in this old city. Nehemiah ends up hearing about this. Crises. The walls are down. And that happens in people's lives today. The walls are torn down. All the protections of what we call control. Remember, we are in our flesh control freaks. We like to control people around us in our circumstances, our calendars. We want to know what's going to happen next. Right? Yeah, none of us. Right, Chris? Nobody. No, not him. No. <laughs> we all are, if we admit it. We all have control freak flesh. We manipulate others, make them do what we want them to some way or another. It's crazy. And yet, we have people in broken lives. They're ruined. So where's the hope today? Let's take a look at this part of the story. When Nehemiah heard this, when he heard about the ruin of Jerusalem, he sat down and he when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, God of heaven. Now, wait a minute. He just said he spent days praying. But now we're going to hear his big prayer. This is it. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Hmm, why would he say that? Is he, is he 
telling himself that or saying, God, do you remember the one who keeps his promises? Okay, he's, he's, I don't think he's trying to manipulate God. He, he's desperate now. This is the, the heart of a person broken. Okay? Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying day and night for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, laws, and regulations you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you sin, I'll scatter you among the nations, which has now happened, by the way. That's why they're scattered everywhere. All right? Um, But if you return... To me and obey my commands, even if you're exiled to the ends of the earth, I'll bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. We are your servants, the people you rescued by your great power and might. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success now as I go to ask the king for a great favor. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. So let's talk about the story. You knew I'd slip it in. Yep, yep, yep. All of you are rolling your eyes too bad. I just need a little encouragement to remind it, you know. Rod walked in wearing one of these. Hey, Rod. Hey, nice shirt, Rod. Look at Rod. Everybody, see? What a nice, really nice. It looks really good on you. The story begins with a patriot named Nehemiah. Hearing that his native city, Jerusalem, was in ruins and the walls were torn down, the gates were destroyed, he prayed. He prayed and then he said, Lord, grant me favor for what I'm about to do next. You see, he was planning on approaching the king and asking for a special favor. But he does something that he risked his life with. See, there's something you're not allowed to do in the king's court. You're not allowed to come in sad to work. Do you know how many people would be fired today if that was the case? (laughs) You cannot go into the king's court sad or looking down. Now, the cupbearer was one of the most trusted positions. You're the next to die if there was an attempt at poisoning the king because you have to eat all of his food and taste all of his wine. Tough job, eh? You know? Um, but that's, that was the risk. It had to be super trusted. So the king knew this man, Nehemiah, well. They may have even been friends, which you kind of want your cupbearer to be, right? Yes. So he... He goes before the king looking sad, and the king says, what has caused you to look so sad? And then he speaks, king, this has happened. My people are in ruins. I'm asking for a leave. Would you grant me leave to go and help my people? And can I have some supplies? The king totally grants him everything he asks for and more. And the king offered him huge timbers of wood to rebuild the city gates and an armed guard for the trip. 
Do you think Nehemiah was respected? Yes. You see, for such a time as this, some of us bellyache and moan and hate our jobs and we kick the dirt and complain and there's other phrases you can use for being a crab. But you know what? What if God has you in a place for such a time as this down the road? What if you are the only light the people in your circumstance will ever see, the light of Christ shining in and through you? But you may be covered in your own darkness right now. There's no way the light can get out. He wants to change your mind. He wants to change your mind of what you believe about him and what you believe about yourself. Your whole life will change when those two things change. You'll change for the better. So Nehemiah left with an escort of army officers and a cavalry. He arrived at Jerusalem. Now, I don't know where he would have gone and not be noticed, but somehow I think he camped outside the city. And then he went and studied for three days. He walked around the walls and inspected and kicking stones as if he's just a tourist. Ooh, nice, you know, figuring this all out. Observed. He never told anybody why he was there. And later, he announced to the people, three days later, he announced them to them in the city, we're going to rebuild the walls. I wonder what the people thought. Some may have thought, are you kidding? This is it? Yes! Let's do this! But there was a whole handful of others who were really, really ticked. They said, no, no way, we're not going to rebuild those walls. What you may not know is those people have been hired and paid to keep them from rebuilding the walls. And these are key leaders in that city. We're talking about a great movie story if you want to do a great story. This is a, this is a good one. They were opposed by three major officials whose secret agenda was never to let the walls be re rebuilt. They had made an alliance with the neighboring cities in order that they not be attacked because all the walls were exposed. They, could, they were vulnerable. But they had a history. They had a reputation of being a mighty people of God. And the walls were part of that story. So everybody knew if those walls go up, we're in trouble. Do you see why they wanted to keep it down? It was important. So instead of beginning construction at, uh, at the east wall, it actually turned into the most magnificent and the fastest build ever, according to in, in, in the stories. In 52 days, the entire city walls were fully rebuilt. And it did not happen at one spot moving along like this, because that'd be a great still movie shot thing. <laughs> you know, watch it go up. But it was the whole thing all the way around, going up slowly, evenly, all the way. At one point, they were, there were threats of attacks, and they had to split up the workers, and the workers had to wear a knife on one side and have the shovel on the other, and they worked just in case, and they were ready, just in case. 52 days. Profound. God working through Nehemiah. So, I want to talk about five faith responses that we can respond with so that we can experience the life of Christ in us, the life of God in us, 
These are unique ones that may help us in our pain, in our trouble. First of all, I think we need to admit that you cannot change yourself. You cannot change yourself. I cannot change myself. Okay? This, this begins with a burden from Nehemiah. That's why he prayed for days and days before he went to the king. I believe it was in those days of praying and submission to God. A place of brokenness. I can't do anything, God. I'm far, far away. Okay? Like, what am I going to do? I believe it was in that time that God inspired Nehemiah with a plan. I'm going to raise you up to go do those things. Because it was heard in that time of brokenness and yielding to Christ, yielding to God, submitting to God. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. It, sometimes it takes weeping. Sometimes it takes a harsh shock for us to go, oh my goodness, I can't believe how off track I've gone. Lord, I need to get my life together. Help me figure this out. And then we submit and say, Father, do what you got to do. Surrender is a big, big thing. And not popular in our church culture. In fact, we're told to get stronger for God, aren't we? You need to get stronger for God, stronger for God. Wait a minute. It's not, his, it's not your strength that's any good. It's His strength. In fact, it's the opposite. We need to become weaker and submit to Him. Very different than our church world. In fact, or even our public world where we're, we're told we've got to build up our leadership gifts to become better leaders, better this, stronger, stronger, stronger. And yet, God has the opposite plan. To use our weakness, our vulnerabilities, and let Him orchestrate the plan, which is far better than we can even conceive. It will lead you to a place of brokenness, the end of yourself. Brokenness is a condition which exists when a person has given up all confidence in his own ability to manage life. That's what brokenness is. It's, it can be an event, but it's a constant, it should be a constant state of being, living in the place of broken, brokenness. And I'm not talking about kaput, okay? That's not what brokenness is, where I'm broken, you know, nothing like that. Like you walk around, you're completely broken, bleh, whatever it is. That's not what it's talking about from the heart of surrender. And it may look like a crisis has come. Crisis can look like brokenness, but brokenness does not mean crises. Okay? And God uses crises in our lives to bring us to the place of brokenness where we surrender and say, Father, you got my attention now. Because obviously nothing else worked. And some people are a little more stubborn than others. It takes them a lot longer. <laughs> this will bring you to a place called absolute surrender. Absolute surrender. Can you pray this to your God? I give God permission to do anything He wishes to me, with me, in me, or through me that would glorify Him. I once claimed these rights as mine, but now they belong to God and are under His control. He can do with them anything He pleases. This is huge. Rights. We're living in a world of individual rights. Let me tell you, you've given up 
all rights as a believer. We have the right to submit to God <laughs> and allow Him to orchestrate this stuff. This is not about our personal rights. This is about surrendering those and standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves. It's an interesting mix. This, this is wild. You may want to pray this prayer, but I've got to warn you. Not even you can pray that prayer in your own strength. He is your surrender when that time comes. If Christ is your life, he is also your surrender. Just because he, you may hear something neat this morning, go, yeah, I want that. Let the Holy Spirit be the one to confirm that. Say, Spirit, what does that mean for me today? And can you take me on the journey and teach me how to surrender? And here's my prayer. You can use mine. I always tag on, can you be gentle with me? Be gentle with me. Because <laughs> it's hard. Some of us have gone through a lot. We've experienced the gentleness of the Holy Spirit. Number two, and by the way, we're not getting through all five today. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering. Number two, you want to experience this life? Affirm that God alone is your source. It was, uh, here he prays, O God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love. This is not him trying to pamper God. It's not like a, a kid going up to mom and dad. Saying, mom, dad, you look, you guys are great parents. You know, can I wash the car for you? Can I? And your mom and dad are going, oh, this is so out of character. What do you want? Well, I actually want to go over to a friend's house. Okay. Do you want to be in the buttering up thing? Yes. This is not buttering up God. God doesn't need buttering up. He knows your motives anyway. But when our spirit inside that is already one with him speaks and prays, he's the prayer to himself in a sense. We get to participate in that prayer and it begins to change us. It's an act of worship. It's a yielding. There's confession in this. He confesses, he even says, you know, we have sinned. <laughs> and he wasn't even there in, his, in Jerusalem. He identified himself with his own people, which is very different than religion, because in religion, we have the religious ones separating themselves from those who are less religious, and they prop themselves up to be more spiritual. I've got the answers. You know, you're not quite right, but once you come closer, you can be near me and maybe shine my shoe. You know, you've met those people. That's not what it means to be a family, to be one in Christ. We need to be able to see and identify each other's hurts and not try to be more right than someone else. If anything, love better than they are loving us back. We can initiate because Christ has already initiated in us his love. This is powerful. The focus is on the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And sometimes we need to pray like this, worship and prayer, and say, God, you are amazing. Sometimes half our prayers are, God, help me! Right? That's a common prayer. <laughs> there are times where it's beneficial for our soul to worship God back and say, God, you are good. And I, I read something about you being holy. Yep. Um, and and you, whatever is in your heart, let it respond. You're going to be shocked when you take some quiet time away from the busyness and clutter of life. Watching your heart in contemplation respond to your Heavenly Father, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. Let it happen.
Next time we're going to talk about being humbled. He confesses and humbles himself. But we don't have time for that today because we're going on. I got a whole bunch more. So we'll cover that next week. But this story of Nehemiah, he recognizes the pain of his people. He identifies with his people. Not separating himself, thinking better, because he's got a great position. He did not have to leave. He had it made. And yet, the pain of people he knew and loved, he went and acted on what he believed God was telling him to do. God may be doing that for you too. First, he wants to soften your heart. That's done through absolute surrender. I invite you this week to find time just to surrender. Say, Father, I can't figure this crisis out in my life. I can't figure out these relationships. I can't figure out this crisis of job or whatever's going on. Even the fears of our political system. He's got it. He's got it. But he wants you to know you are beloved. Be loved then. Know his love. Experience his love. Watch him transform you and the people around you. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the cross, which is the place of submission. You led us in submission. You submitted to this world. And then you made us new again. Father, teach us how to walk the surrendered life, yielding to you, teaching us to walk in boldness, the boldness of your strength in us, not self uh, or ego-generated strength. Teach us how to live by your Spirit in us. Thank you, Father. Amen.